In their book, Scaling Leadership, Robert Anderson and William Adams identified that the number one differentiator for effective leaders is strong people skills. In fact, six out of 10 of the biggest strengths related to people skills and only four related to technical and managerial ability. My name is Stephen Norton and you are very welcome to the Good Boss, Bad Boss podcast, episode five. Thank you for joining us as we explore the good, the bad and the ugly behavior of bosses. In this podcast, we seek to entertain, educate and hopefully change some behavior to make working life better for all. My guest on today's show is Brendan Foley. Brendan is founder and owner of Sea Change Now, a coaching and training company that has helped some huge companies in Ireland build their leadership capability and help create highly engaged teams. He's quite the modern man with a modern blended career. His background in marketing and advertising is counterbalanced with his training as a Reiki master. It's a bit like Don Draper meets the Dalai Lama. He's also an accomplished sailor and has captained yacht crews to international competition success. And if that wasn't good enough, he's also the author of a best-selling book, The Five States of Success. I really enjoyed this conversation and as is standard now for the Good Boss, Bad Boss podcast, we fired off in all directions and somehow it all came back together and worked. He really is a great character and I hope you find this episode engaging. As long as you listen, I will still produce this free resource. The great thing about podcasts is we get to share all the fruits of collaboration together. All I ask in return is that you let me know your thoughts and don't be shy about sharing this on LinkedIn or Facebook or even email your friends with an episode. Don't forget you can download the podcast straight from the website and then listen on your phone too. So uh, stick your earphones in and go for a walk. Right, now on to episode five of the Good Boss, Bad Boss podcast with me, Stephen Norton, talking to Brendan Foley. Enjoy. Hello, Brendan. You're very welcome to the Good Boss, Bad Boss podcast. Thanks for hosting me here in your offices, Sea Change Now in Dunleary. My pleasure. It's a lovely setting, a period building just off the seafront, um, which is your natural setting, of course. The, the sea is your happy place. Absolutely. And I think a giveaway is in the name itself, Sea Change, <laughs> which is S-E-A-C-H-A-N-G-E, Sea Change Now, and now being in the minute or the moment. <laughs> yes. So uh, we're trying to bring all that together, you know. Excellent stuff. So um, I've, I've been wanting to talk to you on the Good Boss, Bad Boss podcast for some time now. I think we organized this a couple of months ago. Yeah, at this that's stage. right. Um, we first met a number of years ago when you came into my offices and you, and you were doing some work with our management team at the time. And it was, it was pretty revolutionary for us uh, as a management team within, within the organization that I was in. And it certainly sh- shook up a few people, I would say. Mm. Um, the energy you brought, I think, is actually one of the things that shook people up the most, though. Because you kind of came in like, uh, do you know the Tasmanian devil? <laughs> you kind of blew in, whirled around, and then kind of, that, that was it. And everybody was going, what, what was that that just happened? So, I mean, th- that energy that you bring, and, and energy being another watchword of yours, uh, y- you know, I'm really interested to find out where that comes from. And, and also your experiences of that, because I'm kind of interested about your good boss and bad boss experience, because I get the sense that, it, it, it must have, there must be some interesting stories behind holding back the Tasmanian devil that is Brendan Foley. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. 
checkered and varied past. How do we start with that? Well, <laughs> I suppose we'll start at the beginning. So yeah. you studied marketing. Is that yes. where you, you began? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was one of those kids. I hated school. School for me was an absolute torture. I just felt it was a kind of a prison. I just felt yeah. I couldn't express myself. It was really, really challenging for me. And I suppose... You know, I started to get a, a feeling very, very young that whatever it was I was going to do, I needed to have a fair degree of creativity in it, a fair degree of expression in it. And I thought, well, marketing might give me that. I went to college and it was extraordinary. The fact that there was essentially no rules, you know, that if you wanted to hand in an assignment, you did. If you didn't, it was your own fault and you wouldn't get any marks. So <laughs> it was just a wonderful freedom in that. And, you know, I absolutely thrived in that. And I loved in marketing this idea of just communicating it finding better ways to communicate a product or a service to a group of people and uh, and to connect that in some way positively with their lives which was just yeah. an intriguing concept for me so is it anything like when you when you started off in marketing which which would have been in the early 2000s was it yeah. around that yeah. so are we talking mad men is that, is that what it was like well I went on and I did a postgrad in advertising. So yeah. I went specifically into the ad business and the ad business. So it really was stage, Mad Men. It was <laughs> Mad Men. And uh, it was very much a world where I suppose there was very little structure. And that appealed right. to me because it pretty much was make your own look, sink or swim. And there was many brilliant things about that, but there was some really challenging things about that as well. And it was my first experience really of, you know, working full time and being given huge responsibility. And it was lovely to work on great big accounts and to try and help them to do great work. But, you know, I kind of realized at one stage that when I was coming home and feeling like a 20 stone rugby player had been standing on my neck, that that probably wasn't normal. <laughs> and right. that, that shouldn't be something that should happen after work. You mean physically feeling Absolutely. the stress of it? Yeah. Just absolutely bent out of shape from the pressure of feeling to have to perform, to deliver, constant uh, deadlines, huge uh, sums of money changing hands and very, yeah. very short periods to create really extraordinary creative work. And mm. every client would want more and more. And you had to be better than your last, uh, your last ad or your last creation. So it was brilliant. It was buzzy. It was adrenaline fueled, but it was exhausting at the same time. Right. And how long did you kind of do... How long were you on that treadmill for? Yeah, so for me, that was a treadmill of essentially five or six years of moving from agency side to client side. So I did marketing roles. I worked in the agencies. And, you know, all of that was, was just a massive learning for me. And, you know, I worked with some brilliant people. I worked with some really challenging people who I'm sure you yeah. might be asking me about later. And it was a wonderful um a wonderful learning it was a really really great place to actually experiment and see yeah. what works and what doesn't and uh, I learned a huge amount from from that period of time amazing and and so what, what happened after that then so you, you were on that treadmill and then you said right I'll make a change what did you want to at that stage so well I had a pretty much a life-changing experience while I was working in a company called Rothko which is a brilliant business very very good ad agency at that stage it was a small little company in Rathmines 20 people working there now it's the biggest ad agency in Ireland you know mm. and uh, it was recently bought by Accenture so you know it was extraordinary to work with Doing with a group well. of amazing people and while I was there you I had a really extraordinary experience and I suppose extraordinary bad rather than extraordinary good Right. Three weeks before I was due to get married, uh, my father was in a really, really bad accident and got a okay. huge bang on the head, it was put into hospital, and this was three weeks before we were meant to have our wedding. Now, he started to recover really, really well, so we went ahead with the wedding, had an amazing day. He couldn't be there, but we went in, we visited him that morning, That's and tough. he was in great, great spirits. 
And then literally, uh, we were three days into our honeymoon. We got a call. You better get back to Ireland quickly. And three weeks later, he died. So from going from one of the happiest days to one of the saddest days in my life, yeah. it made me step back. And what I realized was I was sleepwalking through my life. I literally right. wasn't doing what I really wanted to do. But then the question was, what did I want to do? <laughs> yeah. And that's just such a massive question. And I think very few of us actually take the time to ask that question because it's terrifying <laughs> to ask that question. What do I want to do? And that was the start of everything for me. I won you know, funny enough when we were talking to Brian Keegan on the on the last episode of the Good Boss, Bad Boss podcast, he talked about his father's death being a cath- catalyst yeah. for change too. Yeah. And it's interesting maybe father sons have that have that connection with the you know, that where where it's such a big life event that um it does make you question who you are yeah. and where you come from and where yeah. you're going to. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose what was really interesting for me was at that time Rothko decided they were gonna go and see this crazy fella called Tony Robbins in London. I've heard of so him. So <laughs> I rocked over, went to this gig. It was, you know, maybe about uh, eight weeks after after my dad's passing. And right. it was just the most perfect timing in the world because, you know, you get three days out to really ask the big questions in life. What do you want? Mm. What makes you happy? If you could do anything, what would you do? How would you do it? What are the things that are holding you back? How would How would you make a difference in the world? And when I saw Tony Robbins on stage, I went, I love what that guy does. I think I could do a version of that, which is the Irish version of that. And I just loved his energy, his dynamism. So when you talk about that whirlwind piece, it was like, I got that. I saw that in myself instantly and said, and here's a guy who made a business out of this. And for the first time, it occurred to me, actually, maybe what I'd experienced in life, what I'd learned in life, could be somehow put into some sort of format, the true stage-based setting or talking to people could help them in their lives and that just became a burning desire for me to to literally go and create that and you know I rang my wife and I said honey I'm going to start a business and she went have you been drinking this this was <laughs> this was about three months into your marriage so yeah exactly you didn't give her much time to no, settle there no <laughs> absolutely not I think she was still finalizing you know wh- wh- what we were doing around the wedding list and different things like that and collecting Did you send stuff out the thank you cards <laughs> yeah exactly so it was like all of a sudden he's going to set up his own business. But when I told her about, you know, why I wanted to do it and how important it was to me, she was, right, what can we do? How can I help you? So, you know, that was just really and amazing. what age were you at that stage? So at that stage, I was 30. Yeah. Yeah. And decided, look, this is, this is what's right for me. This is what is going to make the difference. And it was all consuming. It just became this, this thing that had to happen, you know. And from that, just so many good things came. And what period of time passed between that kind of epiphany moment, the road to Damascus moment when you went to see Tony Robbins and and the death of your father before you were kind of up and running a business? Yeah, so it took about six months. Right, that's quick. Yeah. I would say that's That was a long time for me. You say it like it was a long time. (laughs) That's really quick. (laughs) That's a long time for me. I I like to move fast, and if I know something's going to work, I can just jump in and I can switch it on (laughs) straight away. So You're at a different pace than everybody else. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, and I suppose that's something I realized through my career as well. Sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes it's a very bad thing. So what I found actually fascinating about it was, how do I actually tell my boss and that was really, really, and I suppose, you know, coming to Good Boss, Bad Boss, I worked with a guy, Patrick Hickey, who is extraordinary. That he's still the chairman of Rothko. 
And I remember being extremely nervous because, you know, these guys had supported me, they'd helped me, I'd had a fantastic working relationship with them. And now I was going to tell them that I wanted to leave the business and set up my own thing. And mm. I felt like I was kind of letting them down. And I was so anxious about actually going and telling him that I was going to do this for two reasons. First of all, I didn't want to let him down. And second yeah. of all, it would then become real. It's, yeah. it's the moment where you cross the Rubicon, you burn your boats, there's no going back. Yeah. You have to do this thing now. So I remember I was almost physically ill. I was just <laughs> full of butterflies in my stomach. I was just so nervous. And I said, Patrick, I need to have a chat with you. And just such a wise guy, he just looked at me and just said, this is one of those conversations we're better off going to a coffee shop, isn't it? I said, yeah. <laughs> so I went to the coffee shop, I told him, listen, I want to set up my own business. This is what I want to do. And this is you know, why I want to do it. And I was waiting for the response. I was going, oh my God, is he going to say, I'm so disappointed in you. We've invested in you. You've let us yeah. down. And he said, what can I do to help you? Mm. And good that boss, was extraordinary. Good boss moment. <laughs> that was a good boss moment. And it was extraordinary because in that moment, I realized I'm doing the right thing. And that's what I found is when you're doing the right thing, everything lines up around it. Yeah. And maybe it's because it's something you carry. Maybe it's something greater than you. Maybe it's yeah. something outside of yourself. But for whatever reason, when you do what's really, really the right thing, mm. the universe supports you. People yes. support you. Resources come your way. And, you know, I would have been terrified about setting up a business because I come from a banking background. Yeah. Basically, my dad was in the bank. His dad was in the bank. His father was in the bank. Right. It was like 140 years of continuous banking in our family. <laughs> And I'm the guy who's going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to go out on my own. There was no consciousness around that in my family. So it was a terrifying prospect to say, yeah. hey, I've got a mortgage. I'm now married. I have commitments. I'm doing all of this. And I don't know where the income's going to come from. Yeah. So it was just to a certain degree a leap of faith, but I knew I had to do it. And people would say to me, but there's thousands of coaches out there. There's so many people out there who are doing this thing. Why do you think you'll be any better than anybody else? Oof. And it was a big challenge. And would people have actually said that to yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and I was delighted they said that to me because it was to really challenge me to ask me, yeah. am I really doing the right thing? And there was just some part of belief in me that says, look, I have experiences, I have a story to share. I have things that I know can absolutely transform other people's lives. Great. And for me, that's all I needed to know. And for me, if I could transform one person's life, then everything would be worth it. And what was the worst thing that could happen? I'd go back to advertising. I'd go back to marketing. So I didn't see that ultimately there was a downside in this. This was simply something I was going to try, something I was going to go for and see, yeah. could I make this work? Brilliant. Yeah. Excellent stuff. And so so that you set up your own business. You started growing it. Um, you've, uh, you've developed it not only in terms of the business itself, but in terms of the theory and concepts it brings because you, you've also introduced the five states of success yeah. into teams. Now. So this is very energy-based and I kind of want to talk to you a little bit about that. Yeah, so you're sure. a Reiki master, which is another yeah. left field yeah. kind of... Where, where does that stuff come from? Yeah. Where, does, where yeah. does that come from? Well, literally, I suppose, you know, when I had that kind of moment where I realized I was sleepwalking through my life, I said, well, what are all the other things I don't know about? So one of the areas I came across was this whole area of healing and energy and understanding yeah. how energy affects people. And I remember somebody once saying, you know when you walk into a room when the energy is good and you know when the energy is bad. And there could be nobody in the room, but there's a feeling of what happened in that room just before you entered it. Right. And that was always something that clicked at me and I kind of go, yeah. 
And I would get that feeling about people. You know, I would kind of know straight away, this is somebody I could click with, this is somebody I could yeah. work with. And whether that's gut instinct, whether that was feeling energy, whatever it was, I said, I got to pursue this. I got to find out more. And so I studied Reiki and Sakim and magnified healing and a whole load of different modalities that essentially allow you to tune into energy. And in the work I do, it's hugely significant because you can get a sense of people very quickly, maybe where the block is or how a team yeah. might need support. And you just tune in and I won't go in and say, hey, there's some mad stuff happening around you. I'll <laughs> yeah. turn that into words. I'll go, yes. hey, as a team, do you guys struggle to communicate on a human level? And they'll kind of look at you and kind of go, how do you know that? And you can see it in the body language. You can see it in the yeah. way they're interacting with each other. You can feel it off them. And all you're doing is you're vocalizing what's actually happening for them. And really what you're doing is you're just holding up a mirror to allow them to answer some questions that yeah. will help them to be better, to transform into something that's going to help them to succeed. That's fascinating how to, to blend that, what, it, what is, you know, uh, we'll call it hippie. I'll yeah, call it hippie. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, you know, I've, I've met enough people who are into Reiki and they don't look like you. I can tell you. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you you don't you don't look like that type. But to be able to bring that to a business setting must be kind of exciting for you because I mean, people wouldn't expect that at all. No, and and I don't sell that. No, but it's part of what they get from me. So you know, when you say like that, you know, you come in like a whirlwind. Some people get it. Some people don't. Some people are left confused. Other people are left yeah. amazed. That's part of it, because what you want to do is you want to break people out of the patterns that they're in, because yeah. usually those patterns are restricting yeah. them, they're holding them back. And what you're doing is you're creating an opportunity for people to think in a different way, mm. which might allow them to think there's something else that could happen here that we haven't thought about, that we don't believe in, but now maybe we could believe in. Yes. And that's extraordinary, because yeah. as soon as you enter into a world of possibility, you know, I really believe then our higher senses, a lot of the emotional energy we have, it all starts to align to create something that's better. And I really believe that everybody on the planet wants something better. Mm. And if we can help them get to that place, that's what it's all about. Yeah, and just briefly, you, you've uh, developed the, the five states yeah. of success, a, an energy-based system for teams yeah. and individuals as well. So I'm not, I'm not trying to plug it here, but it's something that I've gone through myself. I found it fascinating as yeah. well. I think it's a really good, um, a really good uh, catalyst for great conversations in teams, especially. I think that's, that's where its strength definitely will lie. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, if, if anybody's interested in talking to you, I would recommend they, they, they look into this because I think like you just said it disrupts the patterns that are there looks at it in a very different way and yeah. uh will open up the conversation for teams um th do you want to give us the brief on yeah the five absolutely states? for sure you know I, I wrote a book in 2010 the five states of success mm. and my ambition for the book was to you know get it to number one and it went to number one on amazon in the career section which i thought was really interesting so it was people who were looking particularly to change their careers who, who bought that book yeah but then the elevation of the five states was actually to take it to a place of how could it fundamentally help teams because anything really good i've ever seen created in a business has not been created by one person it's been created by a team of people yeah. and even that team might be an entrepreneur a solo person working but you'll find there's somebody else in a relationship with that person there's a friend there's a parent there's somebody there's, a, there's always a team that creates anything good in the world. And what we did was we created a psychometric, an online evaluator, which actually allows people to answer 50 questions about themselves, five questions about their team, which allows them to get extraordinary deep insight into what's really happening. And as I say, if you want to have a team that wants to create extraordinary things, then 
use the five states. And what we say about the five states is the five states works when you work the five states. It's not just about giving you a report and saying, here it is. It's actually about using it. So that was hugely important that anything we created in this report was so simple that you could implement it immediately. And it's about consistently yeah. implementing it. And when you do that, you'll change habits, you'll break habits, you'll create new ones, and it creates extraordinary success. And the five states, really briefly, first of all, there's the state of insight, which is about creating clarity. Second of all, the state of connection, which is about empathy. The state of certainty, which is about belief. The state of vitality, which creates action. And finally, the state of spirit, which creates purpose. Now, if you bring all those things together, you will find you'll create success. And against a team of people, it's amazing because what we'll find is different people on the team will bring each one of those states mm. and bring them in different degrees, creating really extraordinary outcomes. And yeah. that's what it's all about. Now, the reason why I wrote that book was to create what I call meaningful success, which is health, happiness, and wealth. And if you don't have the three of those things, the success you're creating is not meaningful. I see too many people who work every hour that God is giving them, and they're miserable. They've got a fantastic back balance, but their health is starting to suffer. Their yeah. relationships are suffering. That abundance that they are so-called getting, they're not really living in abundance. Yeah. So for me, it's about trying to create a, a format and a formula for people to try and achieve those things. And, you know, that, that has been an extraordinary thing to be part of. Your purpose is clear, <laughs> for, <laughs> sh for sure. So we'll, we'll, we'll get on to the meat of it. Uh, thank, thanks for bringing us through that, that yeah. brief history. The, the other things actually to mention as well, you're, you're a keen, keen sailor would be an understatement in sure. relation to what yeah. you've done. I mean, you've, yeah. you've captained many, many boats and, and yeah. college teams and, yeah. and the works. You know, you're heavily involved in sailing yeah. uh, still Absolutely. as well. Yeah, yeah. so that, that's your passion as well is, is sailing, yeah? yeah. Uh, what's so great about sailing before we move on? Oh, listen, for, for me, you know, uh, I have a lot of mental activity. I work very hard at people. When I go out in the sea, all that stops. Right. It's, it's my place of peace. It's, it's a quiet place. I can be in the middle of a storm and it feels peaceful. It's just that unique combination of moving air, moving water, and a human somehow floating on top of something, trying to harness the elements. And, you know, particularly with a team of people on a boat in a race setting, there's just something extraordinary about that. There's yeah. a, an alchemy of teamwork, of wind, of water, of competitiveness, of technical knowledge. There's just something extraordinary that happens in that. And it is an absolute passion. And my great passion now is sharing that with other people. And, you know, I run a lot of programs for junior sailors and, yeah. you know, volunteer around that. And I, I just love to see the, the buzz and the kick, you know, the little ones get when they're, they're introduced to something that I love, you know. Excellent stuff. One of the best ways to get is to give back. Absolutely. So you're living that too. Yeah. So, right, here we are into the in the Good Boss, Bad Boss yeah. podcast has a name for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I always like to start with the bad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so in all, in all the things you've done, you know, going back to yeah. college and, yeah. and right through the, the, the advertising game, right through to, to now, because I mean, even though you're, you're running a company, you do yeah. have bosses. They just are different sometimes yeah. uh, as to who those bosses are. They can be stakeholders, they can be clients, Absolutely. they can be, you name it. Uh, they can be the bank manager sometimes. Yeah. Um, so give, give us an experience of a, a, a bad boss and, uh, you know, kind of don't hold back there. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, you know, the, 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 there's two people that spring to mind. The first one was uh, an actual boss I had when uh, I was early in, in my advertising career. I obviously won't name names. No. Keep but on the side of the this <laughs> This was uh, a person who, you know, aggression was just their middle name. Yeah. 
Really? Their way of getting things done was essentially to bully, to manipulate, to literally stand on people until they got what they want. And I could see the body count that was stacking up around this person. And, you know, I thought, I can take this. You know, I, I can handle I've been in very competitive situations. I can deal with this. I was so wrong. <laughs> and the impact of just working with somebody like that day in, day out was just demoralizing you just feel like your confidence goes you have no belief in yourself you start making mistakes because that person's expecting you to make mistakes it was just yeah. horrible and this person was, was that really the norm in in the, in the industry at that stage well, what i found extraordinary was that the bosses of this boss allowed that person to do that mm. that's what i was actually more disappointed in i kind of looked they at see it like were they around enough I think to they see saw it? it and I think they saw okay this person's going to drive they're going to get results out of everybody this person can be the whip we don't have to so we can yeah. be the good cop and they can be the bad cop and right. you know that was just it was just such a bad dynamic to have in the company but it was a brilliant learning because from that I realized okay first of all I never want to be that boss and second of all I'm never going to put up with that and Many years later, I heard this little statistic from somebody in recruitment who said, like, the number one reason somebody leaves their job is the relationship they have with yeah. their manager. It's so true. I was out of that place like a rocket because it was nothing to do with pay. It was nothing to do with the other people who worked there or the work. It was simply the relationship with that person. There was no way I was going to stay there. How long did you last under uh, you know, I lasted, given, given that you were willing to bring the fight to them, yeah, so to speak. It was a year, and then I realized, yeah. okay, this is not going to work. It's never going to change you need to change where you're at. And yeah. so I did. And, and I can't imagine you were a pushover. No, and you know, uh, and I realized that it's not just about the strength of your character, it's also the position that somebody is given in a business and how right. they are backed. So when the other person's getting backed all the time by the senior management and you're not, you realize, okay, that person actually has far more power in this than I do. They've got bigger guns than you. Totally. So, so I'm never going to outgun this person. So why fight a yeah. fight that you can't win? And what, what kind of behavior would they, you know, you were saying aggressive and, and you know, kind of flying off the handle. What, what, oh, so what literally situation? shouting, roaring, smashing things down on tables, ranting and raving around the office, you know, holding up work in front of a whole group of colleagues and saying, this is rubbish and throwing it in the air and just extraordinary behaviors that if, if, if it was to happen today, that person would be flung out in their ear, you know. Do you, do you think they would? Or do you think that it would be tolerated still because they're getting results, though? I think if they had that behavior, they'd be flung out. But I think today, those kind of people are a little bit more coy about how they go about right. what they do. But the energy's still there. There's yeah. still essentially unresolved things inside that person that they're taking out on the people around them. And unfortunately, somebody like that, there's zero trust. Nobody ever trusts those people. So they, they never they're bringing, actually win. They're bringing their stuff. So totally. you, you, it's what they're bringing to work. That's, Absolutely. That's, that's unresolved stuff. And usually you find it's, you know, they're, you know, there's something really tough maybe happened actually in their upbringing and they're yeah. just angry at the world and they're lashing out. Right. And, you know, that's, that's just, just tough if you're caught in the crossfire, you know. And did they get, did they get the results though? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to play the devil's advocate here. They, going, they, Jeez, I got the results. They Happy got short-term results. And what was really interesting was seeing the people who were prepared to be the sheep. Right. So, you know, they were employed to be wolves, but they ended up being sheep because the wolf was basically controlling them. Mm. And it was just amazing how some people just gave up and just fell into line, so to speak, and just operated in, in a very compliant manner. But they brought nothing and they were miserable. So, yeah. you know, it, it did actually work in getting results, but 
who'd want to work in that environment? And so when people would say, you know, would you recommend to get a job with this company? I would say, absolutely not, mm. if that person was still working there, because you know if the company's going to allow that to happen, it says more about the company than it does actually about the individual. Yeah. Do you know, did they last the, the pace? Did they stay in that company yeah, for a while? Yeah, they stayed on. Yeah, right. Stayed on as far as I know. Uh, I, I, To be honest, I, d I don't look backwards, so I, I never checked up. I never checked yeah. in to see where they were. I knew they were there for a few years, but... You know, for me, it's 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 move on, look forward, not backwards. You know. So yeah, you, the result of that one was you exited. Absolutely. You, and it was totally because of that yeah. bad boss. Yeah. Yeah. And and nobody could say that you weren't high potential considering where you went later. <laughs> uh, so you know they they missed out on a on a good opportunity there. Yeah. Well, look, I don't. I, I believe everything happens for a reason. You know. Yeah. If I hadn't moved from there, I wouldn't move to somewhere else and learn something new. If I didn't move from that place and go somewhere else, I wouldn't have learned something new. So you know, I I really believe that I've been lucky in my life that everything good and bad that has happened to me has happened for a reason. Yeah. And it all has a meaning. And that even some of the worst things that happen to you in your life, if you can recognize what's the silver mm. lining there, you realize there was a great learning in it. Yeah. And if you can apply that learning moving forward, wow. That's, yeah, I'd, I'd always say it depends on how you edit the movie. Yeah. Wh where are you going to edit it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you that's edit it at the, at, the, at the scene, which is bad, it's going to be a tragedy. If yeah. you edit it later after you've learned the lesson, well, it, it can actually be a redemptive. Absolutely. Uh, you know, yeah, so yeah. That, 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 for sure. So you said you had two. That's, that's one. And we'll definitely put that in a bad boss pile for sure. Yeah. Uh, if you left that that resulted in a in a bad boss uh, bad boss pile. Um the second one bad second boss. one was a client and it was oh. really really interesting because I had So this is when you have your own business. Yeah, now, so right? I have my own business. I'm working with a group of people. It's an executive team. It's all going really well. And then I probably met the first person who I think probably clinically was some sort of a sociopath. <laughs> Right, I shouldn't laugh, sorry. Other people <laughs> had warned me about this person and maybe in a naive, super confident sort of way, I said, well, I can handle lots of people. I've dealt with lots of people in my life. You know, I'll find a way. And I was optimistic that I would be able to work with this yeah. person. And this person turned literally from agreeing with what we were doing in a particular workshop and being very much part of a team, this person was the leader, to suddenly attacking me and it, it became something that had nothing to do with anything that we were talking about it was just was this in the space of one meeting they yeah, were in, in this they were exact happy, same meeting, happily agreeing happily with you and, and next then thing. suddenly it was almost like i'm going to take this guy out because right. i'm going to show that nobody is better than me and it was just this extraordinary, it wasn't even competitive. It was just like, there is room for nobody else's ego in this room bar mine. Right. And the guy just went nuts. Disagreeing with everything, counter arguments for every single point that was made. His team sat around looking terrified. They didn't right. know whether to look at him, look at me, look at the floor. All they knew is it was this extraordinary, uncomfortable, difficult energy. Now, I'm being challenged, and there's two things going on. First of all, I'm engaging with this person because they're the client, and I'm trying to bring them to a better place. And, I'm, yeah. and there's this part of me, and I'm witnessing myself doing this. I'm almost standing outside of myself, watching this thing happening, going, what is actually happening here? Why is this happening? What am I meant to learn from this? Where do I go with this? And were you on your own in the room? Yeah. Yeah, so it was you and all the other company. Yeah. Absolutely. That was there, yeah. And, and was, was this person the, the head of that group? They were the leader, le leader okay. of this so group. Okay, there was nobody to tell them to shut up. Exactly. They were the <laughs> MD. 
And I think that was the thing. They were so used to having control that as soon as somebody else in the room had a degree of control, they were terrified. And it was like, I'm going to take away this control. And had you been delivering bad news or, no. or negative? And in fact, you know, kind of this uh, is the person. Maybe things aren't as good as you this think. This is the same person who contracted me to do the work, who selected me from a panel of people that I talked to. So this was bizarre, right? And we were achieving what we needed to achieve, but it was just this ego thing kicked in, and it was just extraordinary to watch. So I had to actually realize, okay. This person who's standing outside of myself, the second me, if you like, is yeah. watching this happening. I'm going, okay, first thing is, this is a test. Yeah. Second thing, don't get drawn in. Because as soon as you get drawn in, you're into a game. But you don't know what the rules are in this game. <laughs> yeah. Because this person's playing a game that in, the, they in don't their head. Know. It's, it's, yeah. it's something Absolutely. that's going on with them. So I actually then at that stage just turned it into a joke. I actually started laughing. Yeah. I said, are we really having this conversation? This is actually happening. Jeez, everybody in the room looks terrified. God, Did we, you we say that. Yeah. We, <laughs> we must look awful. What's going on here? Jeez, I hope this doesn't happen in the office, does it? I sure it never happened in the office, would it? And I said, right, what we're <laughs> going to do now is going to move on to something else. And I just turned it into a joke and shut it down. Yeah. But the energy of that stayed with me for, ah, oh, like a couple of months. I was just thinking really? about like, what happened there? And it was bizarre. Now, I have to say, like, literally, I've worked with thousands and thousands of people. It's the only time that's happened. I've seen it just about to happen another time. But because I'd seen it before, I was able to grab it and turn it very, very quickly. Yeah. And it was just an extraordinary thing to witness. But it taught me so much about maybe the experience of a lot of people working in that organization. Because there were probably around 500 people who ultimately were under the control of this person. And it told me about, wow, what are they experiencing? Now, turnover in that company was extraordinarily high. And you could right. see it all came from the top. So, and bad were, boss, were, but a great learning, you know? Were, were they, just out of interest, were they an owner MD? Or no. were they, no, they were a they No, were they, a hired they, they, MD, they yeah. were a top, uh, hunted in, head honcho, brought in, you know, to, to turn this business around and make things happen, you know? And, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, we don't know what was in that person's mind, but they basically, do you think that they had planned to ambush you in that way, as in agree and then chop no, you down? No, I, I, I or think... Or was this just something that triggered them? I, I, I think it was a snap. Something snapped in them. It's just they, they, they had such a need for control that as soon as somebody control. else in the room had control, they just couldn't handle it. They didn't so know like, what to do. I'm going to take this guy apart to show that I'm the smartest guy in the room or I've got the control or... There's nobody greater than me. And it was just the, the most extraordinary demonstration of a lack of empathy, no state of connection, a, a completely warped sense of what success looked like. And yeah. you realize that in, in this company, they would never have success while that person was there. That right. MD subsequently left about three months later. Right. Did you feel vindicated? <laughs> no, not at all. But it, because for me, that person was just going on their own journey. It, it wasn't yeah. even about me. You see, like, I think the thing is, we personalize things so often when it's about, oh, the bad boss, the good boss. It's not about you. Yeah. You just happened to be the person who was standing in, fr- in front of them when that happened. Because I think if you personalize it, it becomes your stuff. It's not your stuff. Let it go. Who knows what happened to that man to make him that way? Yeah. But I'm sure it wasn't good. That that's a really good point to make. That it's 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 never personal. Yeah. It's it's usually you're just usually the 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 wall that they happen to be hitting today. 
Yeah. Uh, and that's the way it goes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's, there's a lovely thing that Jack Canfield talks about where he says, you know, take 100% responsibility. Yeah. And it's brilliant because if you take 100% responsibility that in some way I have allowed this to happen, then it's my actions or my inactions that have created this. Yeah. So for me, it's fundamental to actually just take ownership that whatever happened in that situation, I was complicit in it, but I can also choose that I don't own this. Yeah. This is somebody else's stuff. So I don't need to let it affect me. That's mm. my responsibility in this situation. But it's also my responsibility to learn from it. Or if I can help some of the people who might be working with an individual like that, how can you survive in that situation? Mm. Or <laughs> help them to get up and leave and go somewhere better. Yeah, yeah. But as you said, though, you, the, the energy stayed with you. Yeah. The, 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 the feeling it, it left <laughs> in yeah. you stayed for a few months after it. Absolutely. So you must have had doubts during that time then. Well, hang on, did, it, did I do something? or, or Oh, you, you always replay these things and you think, okay, yeah. could I have done it better? Would I have approached it in a different way? Was there something in particular I said that, 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 that set him off? And then what you realize is, hang on, this is futile. Yeah. And, and actually, is there anything to be gained in it? There's not, because mm. even if you sat down and you had a conversation with this person about it, they probably wouldn't remember it because this yeah. was just standard for them. It's it was no big day. deal. And it's just another day. So yeah. why, why turn, why give energy to something that didn't deserve yeah. it? So it's like, what do you feed? So, mm. you know, I stopped feeding it. But for me, it, the way I was able to let go is to say, okay, what do I need to learn? Well, what I need to learn is let go of these situations if they happen. Learn from them if you can, but move on, forward. Learn and move on. Don't feed it. I like it. Yeah. I, I am writing that down. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, brilliant, brilliant stuff. So a th th couple of great examples there. And, and what I take out of that is, first of all, aggression, bad boss behavior for sure, yeah. but also control. And yeah. I think that's one that, that might be a bit more nuanced. Yeah. I mean, people are made to be bosses because they're supposed to be in control. Yeah. And in some ways, companies may hire somebody who is always in control. Yeah. But there's a negative element to that in that, well, actually, you know, once you have a team, yeah, there's no way to be in control yeah. of, of all of that. So it's a fine line. I mean, any, anybody who's, who's a boss out there, it, it would be useful to kind of question, well, what, what's your level of control and what's your level of comfort of not being in control of certain things? Absolutely. Look, it's, it's a brilliant piece, Stephen. And like what I would even challenge is the notion that are bosses actually employed to be in control? Oh, okay, yeah. So I'd question that they don't actually need to be in control. I think the fundamental role of the leader or the boss is to provide the right environment so people can succeed. Yes. And if you trust people and you give them the right frameworks, the right processes, the right vision, and you put the right people in the right roles, then you've created the right environment. And then they will succeed and you will be a phenomenal leader. If you try and control everything, if you micromanage, if you're mm. on top of everything they do, all they become is an extension of your mind. And that is probably one of the most disempowering places you can ever be as a staff member, a team member, is just to be an extension of somebody else's mind. Because where's the space for you? Beautifully put. <laughs> yeah, that, that's very true. That, that's absolutely true. Yeah, because I mean, it, it's, it's uh, you know, several heads are better than one, not yeah. just the same head. Yeah. Repeated. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I think it's the single biggest change we're going to see in the workplace in the next few yeah. years is moving away from this triangular style of leadership where there's one person at the top with total control to circular yeah. leadership where there are number of people who are all combined together to achieve a common goal, which is yeah. shared. And they're all going to bring the best of their ability and their expertise to do that. Yes, and yeah. 
that actually people are going to come in and out of that team. They're going to come in and out of that group of people. But the shared objective, the shared goal remains common. Mm. And there's space for everybody to be themselves. And if you look at that, they are the fastest growing, most productive companies out there. The big companies are dead. The only way they can survive is buy other companies like them because the margin is so squeezed in what they do. Their overheads are too high. They can't use technology properly. So all they do is they buy their next biggest competitor. Yeah. And then they try and squeeze more margin by reducing the overhead. That's a zero-sum yeah. game. You keep going. Yeah. Where does it end up? And that's that old patriarchal, military-style uh, mm. area of control. Where if you look at the companies that are really winning, they tend to be agile. They tend to be really flexible. They tend to have really powerful cultures and behaviors. Yeah. They're doing brilliantly. That's circular leadership rather than this triangular piece. There's there's two sides to that. There's the the uh, there's a great book by Frederick Laloux. It's uh, about um, teal organizations, the next level, self self managing teams, and as you yeah. say, kind of a little bit of a hive mind instead of a, yeah. a command and control. Yeah. On on the flip side, a lot of big companies are regulated out the wazoo, and yeah. regulation needs control. Yeah. And kind of needs hierarchy, so it's a, it, it's tough to deal with that too. Though I mean, if you're unregulated, you can be very experimental, but if you're regulated, there's going to be somebody somewhere who's going, where's that report and why isn't it signed off five times? Absolutely. No, and it's brilliant because there's such, I think there's a huge difference between hierarchy and responsibility. Mm-hmm. So what's really interesting is hierarchy is often seen as you are more important than me, you are less important than me. Yeah. Where actually responsibility is, it's your responsibility to ensure that these rules are followed, these guidelines are followed. And actually, you don't need a hierarchy for that. You need a really clear roles and responsibilities, which is you're going to do that. And by the way, we're all agreeing as a team that when you tell us to do this because it's the right thing to do or it's the law for us to do it, we're going to get around that thing. But actually, I don't need you to be my boss or my subordinate to do that. What I need to do is respect your area of expertise and the fact that you're doing that role. And if we do that, it's extraordinary what happens so that you can still have regulation, you can still have controls, you can still have structure. But actually, it's not based on this idea of more important, less important, because that creates all sorts of crazy behaviors, parent-child behaviors, yeah, yeah. people acting like parents, people acting like children, and you know, rather than adult-to-adult conversations. And so mad stuff happens in there. Crazy so behavior starts to manifest. It's a bit less like Full Metal Jacket and more like the A-Team. Yeah, you got <laughs> it. I love it. What a great <laughs> analogy. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, br- brilliant stuff that, that, that's w- and we could talk more yeah, about that yeah. leadership piece yeah um moving on to good bosses then yeah. so you know y- you definitely you already gave us an example there of patrick who you know yeah. when when you needed it when you were so nervous and you had the butterflies in your stomach yeah. and you were saying right i'm gonna i'm gonna s- set sail on my own here and he he said the right thing is like what help can i give you yeah so that's one one example of a good boss that is supportive regardless of the situation he's he's supportive but give us a few other examples of a good yeah, boss so and like, why, why it had such a good effect as well. I yeah, think so like it's extraordinary. You know, I, I, I literally thank God every day for the people that I work with who are my clients. And, and they essentially are my bosses. But in, in many ways, it's actually about co-creation. We co-create things together. It's about actually coming together to do amazing stuff. They have the budget and we have the means. But we both might have the ideas. And it's actually how do we bring all of those things together to create something really powerful that's gonna make a profit and make a difference. And when we do that, it's just electric. And so those bosses for me are the very, very best people to work with because they start with the principle of how do we make it better? Mm. 
and it's we. It's not how do I make it better, how do you make it better, it's how do we make it better. So for me, there is no better boss than the person who wants to genuinely collaborate because none of us can do it on our own. And for me, the concept of team is absolutely central to everything. You know, as humans, as mammals, we are programmed to work with each other. We're not programmed to do it on our own. And yet a lot of the businesses we see, they're set up in silos, they're set up to give individual responsibilities, and actually it moves people away from being a team. Yeah. And for me, the best bosses are the ones that you're both the boss. Yeah. You're actually sharing that responsibility of getting results. You're sharing that responsibility of creating some amazing things together. And for me, it actually feels like you're a team. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that, that I adhere to is, you know, one of the spiritual laws of success, as, as Deepak Chopra would describe them. And one is that everybody is your equal. Mm. So I don't have any bosses. And yeah. I'm the boss of nobody. Everybody is my equal. And that means I look up to nobody. I look down on nobody. And people have often said, you know, you don't really get starstruck. You can, you can talk to anybody who's, you know, super powerful and it doesn't seem to phase you. And that's yeah. because I see them as an equal. You know, they're the same as me. And, you know, it's the same that, you know, people who might be considered to be in lowly roles or, or people who are ignored in organizations, they're as important to me as anybody else I'm talking to. Mm. And, you know, I'll give you an example of a wonderful guy, security guard that I know who's on the front desk of a building I go to all the time. He is an exceptional leader. Because everybody that comes past his desk, he smiles, he knows their name, he wishes them good morning. He makes them feel better. Yeah. And that's the guy who gets it. He doesn't think I'm the lowly security guard that's here and I can't talk to anybody. He makes it his business to talk to people. Yeah. And, and that's what it's about. So, you know, I think the idea of bosses actually may disappear. Mm. You know, because if we really treated people like human beings and we saw them all as equals, what could we achieve? It yeah. would be extraordinary. So collaboration is the is the new, Alice, new watchword. It's it's all about the team, and and a team is a group of equals. And, and there's ha- leaders in that team, but everybody in the team is an equal. The one thing that's becoming a lot more popular now, for cost reasons and for um, for lifestyle reasons, is is home working. Yeah. You know, working three days from home, working sometimes full time from home. People just set up their laptop, and that's where they work, and they don't get that team interaction do you think that's a challenge or do you think that's look it's just a different way you can still be that team and collaboration have you come across that yet yeah absolutely i think it's all down to choice it's what people want home working or mobile working or remote working is absolutely crap for teamwork yeah it's as simple as that people tell you oh we're a virtual team we make it work absolute poppycock that does not work you cannot connect with somebody unless you're really face to face there are there are physical biological energetic things that happen when people come together you can't do that over email yeah you can't do that just talking to somebody over a skype connection it's different you miss the nuances you miss the body language you miss the environmental clues all of those things they're not there and if you think about it as a way of communicating as a species, we've been communicating pretty much face-to-face for pretty much all of our evolution. Yeah, It's only now in this tiny little window in history that we have this remote way of communicating. It's completely unnatural for us. Now, from a productivity point of view, it's amazing. No one's there to bother you. You can get your work done. And if that's what you need, brilliant, go for mm. it. But not at the expense of teamwork. So for me, it's about balance. It's about 
you know, well, if you want two days out of the office, you've got to be in the office three days because you yeah. will lose connection with your teammates. You won't have rapport. You won't have connection. You'll miss the stories. And distance will grow between you. very true. Actually, virtual communications, even if you take it as a letter, yeah. that letters were, you know, it was only if you were literate. So yeah. that means that virtual communications, even if you take it down to the letter, to the postage stamp level, is only a couple of hundred years old. Absolutely. 200 years ago in Ireland, most people yeah, they were illiterate. Right. Yeah. Okay, so the only way we could communicate was by meeting each other mm. or by somebody carrying a message on our behalf to somebody else. Yeah. But we always interacted with a human being. Very true. And I think there's going to be a huge kickback against this because I think technology is a great productivity driver. And I know Microsoft's new vision, for example, is you know to give people all the tools in the world that they might need to make them more productive, which is brilliant. Mm. But at what price? Yeah. What price are we paying for our productivity? If we're paying the price that actually we're becoming unhappier, we're not having emotional relationships with people in the same way, we're not having spiritual connection with other people, we're not having the intellectual stimulation of sharing ideas and, and being around other people, if we're not getting the physical interaction of having the presence of somebody around us yeah. that we enjoy having around us. The, wor the world, uh, yeah, the irony of the world is getting bigger connectivity-wise, but much smaller connection-wise. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they talk about iGen, uh, they're doing less uh, later in life. You know, they're, yeah. they're actually not having as many relationships as yeah. people of the previous generation, even the millennials and, and, the, and the Gen X before them. They, they're not actually having as many relations, yeah. uh, the relationships. They're not even having sex as early as yeah. people before, yeah. which is, you know, counter to everything that's happened because they're spending so much time on a screen. And then the the great um, the great release might be getting a job, but then if that job actually has you working at home, that could be that could be really detrimental to people's mental health, really. Absolutely, and I think you know we are entering into the world of absolute choice. Yeah. Right. You can choose anything. You can be anything. Right. You can get any information you need in the world. Mm. Okay. But the question is, are you set up to make the right choices? And I think for, you know, I look at my kids, I have three kids, they're 10, 8 and 6, and I look at them and they, they will be able to choose to do anything they want, live anywhere they want, have anything they want pretty much yeah. within reason. But how are they going to make those choices? What are they going to value? You know, that's where it's yeah. going to come down to actually, you know, their values in life, what they consider to be important. And hopefully if, you know, if they ever listen to me as a parent, they might, no. might <laughs> just think about the importance of people in their lives and hopefully relationships yeah. are an important thing for them because if they disappear into that screen, it becomes a world of escape. Yeah. And it's an addiction. And anytime you see any sort of an addiction, it's an escape. Mm. All addictions are escapes. Yeah. But actually until we learn to live in this world, we can't access happiness. Because even biologically, we're programmed to get that stimulation from other people. That's what thousands and thousands and thousands of years of evolution has created. Evolution did not create us to sit hunched with a bent over neck with one thumb scrolling through a feed that we yeah. can't remember an hour later of anything we read or looked at. No, yeah. that's, that's not even existing. So that's going to be that's going to be a major challenge for business and yeah. for, for bosses. Absolutely. For so... Good, good boss wise. Do you, can you, you know, you're working with a, a yeah. lot of clients now. Do you si see anybody nailing this really well uh, in terms of creating those teams and, and being a great boss? So from, from that point of view, 
you're privileged because you've a window into a lot yeah. of organizations yeah so can you see anybody doing yeah oh, look, I'm, I'm, I'm privileged to work with some really fantastic people and they and they're standout because i think one of the first things a great great boss does is gives people a clear vision this is why we're here and this is what it's about and it's purpose driven it's not about hitting a target it's actually about what are we here to do what's the amazing thing we're going to achieve and here's the time frame we're going to do it in and come up with a plan guys yeah that's amazing i also think the most extraordinary bosses out there are the people who are human they know when to drop that corporate approach they know when actually something is more important that somebody has a sickness they have a relative or somebody maybe in their family that has an issue and they create time for that person and understanding and it's just that humanness that actually makes them absolutely extraordinary and you know i was asked a brilliant question recently you know leaders do you think that they are uh, born made constructed can people learn it and i fundamentally think that people can learn the skills of being a leader but more and more, the longer I spend in this, I think that people are born leaders. Really? I really do. I just see it. It's just there's something innately in them that allows other people to follow them. Right. And I think one of the challenges we have is we pay leaders most. And I think that's wrong because I think actually we need to have people who are really happy to be followers, who can get paid as much as the leader because yeah, yeah. actually I know they don't mean. need to be leaders they're actually brilliant followers or they're a brilliant scientist or inventor or they can do something really brilliant. Yeah, we pay rank and not expertise exactly. a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, you know, in, in every level and, and there, therefore we get people who just economically need to become the next rank up because I want to get a mortgage. Exactly. I don't really want to be a leader. Yeah. But I have to be because I have to get the mortgage. Yeah, and, and they may be a rubbish leader but yeah. they might be a fantastic follower and we're mm. stopping that person being that follower. And we all kind of need to gravitate to that thing that we do best. But if the organizational world we live in is constantly trying to turn everybody into leaders, we yeah. can teach people skills. But natural leaders are natural leaders. Yeah. It, 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 it's kind of like water. It will always find its own level. There, there, there's an innate truth in. People will mm. follow people because they want to, not yeah. because they have to. Yeah. And I come across plenty of leaders that people are following because they have to, yeah. not because they want to. And then the best leaders are the ones that people are following because they're just the leader. They're easy to follow. And do you ever see uh, just something sparked it there, but reluctant leaders, people who are actually great leaders and they don't want to be. They kind of... Ah, absolutely. They're kind of like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah. They're the natural born leader, but they're the reluctant leader. They don't want to yeah. do it. But actually people follow them. People listen when they talk. People value yeah. their input, but they don't see it in themselves. And it's yeah. sometimes... Uh, I was told by a guy once and I thought it was a brilliant observation. He said, you know sometimes what we have and everybody else values we value least in ourselves because we take that thing for granted yeah because it's innate it's just something that's part of us we didn't have to work hard to get it we didn't strive we didn't go to college we didn't do whatever it might have been to develop this skill it's just something we do and because we were born with it because it's been with us forever yeah we somehow don't value it Yet for somebody else, they could see that as the most extraordinary thing. And unless we kind of own that sometimes, well, then mm. we, won't, we won't live our purpose. We won't yeah. follow what's important to us. It's, it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of like that Carol Dweck thing where, like, if you praise the effort, people put in more effort. But if they think it's a natural talent, they'll, they'll just let it. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. I'm good at that, so what? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, like those reluctant leaders, um, 
are beautiful in many ways because they have such a vulnerability. Yeah. That that is actually part of the attraction, I think, as a leader because they're very human. They'll mm. say, like, I, I don't have all the answers. I don't really know where we're going to go in this, but I know you're an amazing team and I know that if we work together, we'll find a way for it. Yeah. Wow. How are you going to feel with that leader? You're going to go, mm. wow, this person's going to give me space. I'm going to be able to find a way forward and it comes back to this idea of the environment if that leader can then create the right environment then that leader is the most amazing boss that exists yeah because they'll allow everybody to thrive and so would you say now that um so you know being in business give it 20 years or so yeah um is leadership and our bosses better now than they were or are they facing challenges that it, it doesn't matter? It's just a new world and it's a new challenge. Yeah, that's a brilliant question. I think in some ways, uh, leaders are infinitely better. They're, they're, they're far more equipped. So today there are very few leaders that wouldn't have had, say, emotional intelligence profiling. They wouldn't have had the kind of the mm. profiles we would do at the five states, etc., which give people a lot of language tools and processes to use that really help yeah. them to lead. So I think they're better equipped I think they're better supported in terms of organizations understanding the, the role of leaders and how we can support them. But then again, if you look back, you can go the whole way through history and you still see amazing leaders that did amazing things. Yeah. And I think that's amazing. You know, I was talking to a historian once and he said, you know, Brendan, the thing you always got to remember is different times, same mind. Yeah. And I think there's something in that, that actually great leaders have always been great leaders. And whether that was, you know, when we were all sitting in a cave and some leader decided because all of the, the ducks were now flying south that it was a good idea to pack up our stuff and head away before the Ice Age arrived. Well, <laughs> you know, that leader, it's, the, it's a different time, same mind. Today, they might be looking and saying, all our customers are leaving and going in that direction. We need to move our business to a different place. Yeah. Like, so, I, you know, I think in many ways... It's, it's as the Buddhists would say, it's, it's, it's that great wheel that keeps revolving, you know, mm. I, is it just a case that there's actually so many of these stories playing out again and again, century after century, decade after decade, mm. the, the, the stage setting is different, but the actors are the same. Yeah, the fundamentals are the same, so regardless. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a good note to finish up. I mean, we, we could, as, as, as again, with the Good Boss, Bad Boss podcast, for some reason, it just provokes good conversation. And uh, I'm really delighted to have talked to you. Brilliant, brilliant way to finish it. I mean, we, we've, we've talked about so much in relation to, to good bosses and bad bosses here. I think people will learn a lot from this. And uh, just to, to say, we can get you on www.cchangenow.ie. Yeah. Just think. Abso- <laughs> so, yeah. Absolutely. And um, if you Google the five states there and the number five and states, you'll get information about it as well. And, you know, if any of your listeners want a conversation, that's yeah. where we love to start. And particularly if you are in a team or you lead a team or you want your team to be the best team that can possibly exist, come and have a talk with us. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Brendan. Excellent. Thank you for your time today, Stephen. What a whirlwind conversation. Brendan has a fantastic ability to find the right words and references to make his point. He's a great communicator with Tasmanian Devil Energy. I have taken the five states psychometric test myself and Brendan was kind enough to personally walk me through the outputs. It's clearly powerful stuff and the logic and perspective is consistent with all the research I've seen. The beauty is the five states psychometric is really accessible too, so it's great for teams. You'll find more from Brendan and his team at 
www.seachangenow.ie. If you have a guest you'd like to hear from or you have some comment on this show, please drop me a mail at stephen at stephennaughton.com. You can find more from me at www.stephennaughton.com and I'll be back next month with another Good Boss, Bad Boss guest. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>